Well, we've been looking at things that, um, characteristics, if you will, about a redemptive church, what it would look like for us to grow more and more to the image of a church that is a redemptive experience for people, particularly people that are outside the church. And I've said to you, and I remind you on a regular basis that even in a really secular place like Gainesville, there are lots of people who have church baggage, who have been turned off by hurt, they have been um, offended in some way, maybe in their earlier life, and that plays out in how anti-church and anti-God and anti-the gospel they sometimes are. Not always. There's sometimes where we just simply reject the gospel, but I want you to be aware of it. I, I think that's the vision that, I, that the Lord is giving us to be a redemptive experience of church for folks in Gainesville. We've looked at some things over the last couple of weeks surrounding the consecration of our new worship space. We've looked at how we are called to be impartial, that we're called to love everyone that God sends to us, and how easy it is to fall into that sin of partiality, of discriminating against people. Uh, we've also looked at the call to be servants. It's so much easier to be served than to serve. And we are always to be mindful of God's call that the kingdom looks like serving. Where are we being called to serve? Well, today, Jesus gives us a really tough gospel passage. Can I go ahead and just say that up front? Uh, at the end of chapter 9, we have an, a, a really tough scripture here to, to deal with, but I believe the Lord is showing us that, in fact, it is His priority that we would be a redemptive experience of church. Jesus, just to remind you in the verses before, Jesus has declared the, the gospel to His disciples. He must be killed, but on the third day he will rise from the dead. They, of course, are busy talking about who's the greatest and trying to put themselves in pecking order. Jesus rebukes them and he begins to teach them about what the kingdom looks like. It looks like giving a cup of water to somebody that maybe nobody else mentions, serving in the simplest way. It also means guarding your heart against competition. Crabs in a bucket I talked about last week. The, the pulling of each other down as we see somebody else getting above us. And sadly, oftentimes, the, the church of Jesus Christ re reflects that, that, that worldly idea of not wanting anyone to get above us and to pull the other one down. But today, Jesus really hones in on, on this idea of you know, what it is that... that that will either make us or break us from being a redemptive experience of church. And I think, although these seem a little disjointed, I think these verses actually fit together. Follow with me, if you will. Um, I, we've talked about that, that first part um, last week, about the, the, the giving a cup of water to a little one. I explained to you that that's not simply a little child, although Jesus uses a child to make the point, because children had such a low place in the society in the first century. Boy, how that has changed. But, um, but, but he's talking, when he says little ones, he's really talking about every disciple, every precious person that would follow him. And Jesus, in that first verse, verse 42, gets right to the issue, and that is things that cause people to fall away. As a pastor, I can tell you, nothing breaks my heart and, and I've been here since 2002, started servants in 2006 with some of you. Uh, nothing breaks my heart like seeing people fall away from the faith. Now, the, the phrase in the Greek is, is, is literally fall away. 
it, but, but there's also the connotation within it, falling into sin, falling into false beliefs, or simply just the idea of falling away, leaving the church. Nothing breaks my heart as a pastor more than to think back on people that were a part of our fellowship. And not that they've gone to another church, that's perfectly acceptable. We're simply a local expression of the one church of Jesus Christ. But, but people who leave our fellowship and fall away, whether it's sin or just simply false belief, and it's, it's, it's sad. It, 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 it sometimes wakes me up in the middle of the night. I, I, I worry about it. I, I want you to know I spend time. If you try to leave here, I will follow you. I will find you. Not to try to get you to come back, but just to know where you're going. You say, I'm going to the church. I'm like, okay, then I can pastorally give you to somebody else to care for. But if you are simply falling away, well, that's extremely concerning. And Jesus, note this, Jesus takes it very, very serious, doesn't he? One verse, but I think he makes his point, right? If you cause somebody to fall away, Jesus says, it would be better that somebody took a giant stone, tied it around your neck, and drowned you in the Sea of Galilee. Now, you need to know there's a historic precedent for this. Uh, there was a, a, a rebel who rose up against the Roman Empire in Jesus' time, and his punishment was that the Romans took him and they tied a stone to his neck and threw him in the Sea of Galilee so that his fishermen are paddling around the Sea of Galilee, they would see Judas the Galilean's feet dangling up from the bottom. Isn't that a lovely view? Wouldn't it be a wonderful? What a deterrent to not rebelling against the Roman Empire. This had a, an historical context for them, so they understood what Jesus meant when he said that there's a punishment associated with causing one to stumble. Jesus takes this very seriously. I, I, I want to say up front, the very last thing Jesus says, the reason why I, I make the case this is all to be tied together, verse 50, which I extended the reading, you probably noticed, down to verse 50, be at peace with one another. We are social creatures. We are meant to be in community. One of the scariest things for me about social media in this day and time is how isolating it becomes and how it can give us the sense that we're in community because we have a thousand friends on Facebook and yet we can be incredibly isolated. You see, when I'm around my brother, I realize that all the texting we do and all the phone calls, I really don't know and not in his presence in the same way. And when I'm with him, I realize that, wow, this is a complex human being, and he and I don't agree about everything like we do about the few things we text about during the year. And so it's this awkwardness of sort of getting to know each other again in a reality of relationship. We are meant to be in relationship with one another, and we're to be, Jesus says, at peace with one another. That doesn't just mean tolerate. You do your thing, I do my thing. That is to be at peace with one another. Jesus says in that context that, that if we cause another one to fall away, he takes it extremely serious. Now Jesus is employing hyperbole here. He does it later on with the 
with the, the, the cutting off of hand and, and plucking out of eye, but don't miss his sincere point. He wants us to take seriously. This is why I think we're on the right track by saying we want to be a re- redemptive experience of church. You and I all know people who've been hurt by the church. I knew one man who literally, he was at our church event and he wanted a, a little larger helping. He was a large guy and the person serving was like, I'm sorry, but that's all you get. And he was offended and quit coming to church. He was brand new to the faith. He was a wounded, wounded guy, especially about his weight, and it triggered his worst nightmare of experience of the church, and he felt rejected and never has come back, to my knowledge, at this point. And I saw him a couple of weeks ago. So um, Now, you may say, well, that's petty. Get over it. Easy for you to say. The things that, that offend us, the things that cause us to stumble, the things that, that, that are offense against us are unique to each and every one of us. Jesus says, be careful lest you cause a brother or a sister to stumble. See, if, we, if we're in an attitude of servanthood, we will be looking to serve that person. The 8 o'clock service this morning, somebody walked in late and the person behind them, who happened to be Walter Crosby, took his hymnal that he was singing out of and he handed it to her and he showed her where he was. And I thought, man, how many times have people walked into an 8 o'clock service and they don't get the hymnal handed to them? They get, <laughs> they get their head handed to them, right? How dare you be late? Maybe they don't say it in words, but they say it in, in, in verbal, nonverbal communication. You know, how dare you come in here late? How dare, dare you disturb? Um, who are you to interrupt my worship? It's so easy to, to fall into this. I'm going to use some examples to kind of flesh it out for you, but, but please, I'm not trying to pick on any particular person or any situation. I'm simply saying... Take it seriously, Jesus certainly does. There are lots of opportunities we have to offend. I I do it all the time. Jody says, you know, Alex, I wish you'd just wear your collar all the time. I feel like you behave better, but the reality is I don't. You know, we we do, we we offend one another. And so there there has to be a quickness to be aware and and to say, you know what, I'm sorry. Rather than to be defensive, right? Which is our natural tendency. And to pursue people to say, please forgive me. Please. And then we bring that repentance to the Lord because we we realize that we have have done things we ought not to have done and we've left undone things we ought to have done. Jesus says, take seriously the things that cause people to fall away. It's not just my responsibility, it's our responsibility. This is not a a verse to pastors, but it's a verse to a Christian community that Jesus is establishing. He's saying, be careful. Watch your words. Have an attitude of servanthood towards those that are in your midst. Welcome the stranger. Jesus, we, we just sang, Jesus has no body on earth 
now, he does still have a body, theologically, I want to make that point, but on earth except us, people need to see Christ with flesh on. We get to be that, but we can also do harm and press people away. Well, I think I've hit that point enough. Well, as Jesus moves on from there, it doesn't get really any easier because Jesus moves from those things which we would do to cause other people to fall away to the things that would cause us to fall away. Because, and let's be honest, you know, there, there's a whole aspect of our life that, that is constantly at war with us. Our body, right? We see, Paul says, this, this other man in our, in our extremities, in our hands, in our eyes, in our feet. And so Jesus, this is whole long passage from 43 down to 48, reminding us that we need to take our sin seriously as well. Now this is, this is tough, right? Because people can, if they only hear you're a sinner, you're bad, be guilty, feel bad about yourself, it will drive people away. But at the same time, if we never talk about sin, we never talk about our spiritual need in Christ, well then it diminishes the need for the cross itself and Jesus' sacrifice for our sins. And so we, we have to find a way to, to be intentionally balanced about that, to, to yes, speak about sin, but at the same time, talk about the promise of forgiveness. Jesus says, take seriously your sin. Again, using hyperbole, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your foot, cut it off. If your eye, pluck it out. Now, there have been some extreme examples of this. Origen, the church father, North African, did something, cut something off. You can go look up Origen if you want to know what it was. But he did it in an effort to be pure before God. But the reality is that you can cut the hand off, you can cut the foot off, you can pluck the eye out. It's, it's the mind and the heart that, that run to sin. Jesus, remember a few weeks ago, Jesus said, it's from the heart that sin springs, right? Jesus isn't saying literally cut the hand and the foot off, but he's saying take seriously about where your foot carries you. Take seriously about what you reach and grab and take hold of with your hand. Be, take seriously what your eyes look out, look at, because those are the things that bring sin to our lives. And even though we have been, been those who received the gospel, we've heard the good news of Christ, we've been forgiven for our sins, we are still prone and can become slaves again, Paul says in Romans, to those things which we've been set free from. And it's a danger. Now here I just want to refer back to you to the second lesson Jamie read a little while ago from James chapter 5. Don't you just love, man, James just gets all over rich people. Glad I'm not rich, right? Weren't you thinking that? I'm thinking, man, there's some, there's some people in serious trouble with Jesus saying, well, well what is James re referring to here? First of all, know that the, the rich people that, that James is talking about, they're probably not reading the letter. I think I said that a couple of weeks ago when I preached from James. James' primary reason for writing that is he's, he's writing because he knows the tendency within the congregation to pursue those riches to such extent that they capture the heart and mind of this congregation. 
and they begin to invest themselves. Jesus, remember, says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures. This doesn't mean don't have a savings account. This doesn't mean it's, it's an it's a evil thing to be wealthy, but don't put your heart in that. Don't, don't put your security in. Don't wrap your life around it. What causes people to fall away? Oftentimes, it's the sin of their own lives. Yes, sometimes they're offended and rejected by people, but other times, it is simply that they are drawn away by their own sins. I, I, I've known people who, they, you know, they've become so enamored with something, some place or some thing that they possess, and it, I've watched it begin to, to bring them to a place of divided heart. You know, one guy that I love, he finally got the vacation home that he always dreamed he'd have. I don't think it's wrong to have a vacation home. I hope by the grace of God I have a vacation home one day. But I pray that my heart doesn't get so wrapped up in that vacation home that I become a divided person of divided loyalty to the Lord. And over the years, I watched this person disengage from community and engage more completely in this vacation home. And again, I'm not picking on someone. I'm, I'm not saying a name. I'm simply giving you an example of why Jesus wants us to be so serious about our sin. Because sin will capture our hearts. And if we take it lightly, it will bring about death to us. And even for a believer to take lightly our sin is at our own peril. There was a pastor that I respected. He was a great Bible teacher. He was, I mean, just phenomenal preacher, teacher of the Bible. I knew people that had been his disciples and I was impressed with him as I was impressed with him. And then years later, I saw him at a conference and his theology had just gone to mush. I mean, it was like, you know, it was like oatmeal. You know, it's kind of runny and, you know, lukewarm. And it's like, it's like, what happened to this guy? You know what happened to him? He, he divorced his wife. He was living with another woman. And so his, his theology had to change to adapt to his lifestyle. Jesus says, be careful about where you go or what you touch or what you look at because sin has a power and Jesus is warning us not to take it lightly. This also causes people to fall away. But Jesus is warning the rich and those who would desire to be rich in James 5, 1 through 6. Be careful. Because you see, those who invest their lives and their possessions will see it crumble. They'll see it destroyed. And we're certainly living in a day where we're seeing some really successful people who are losing everything because their fame and their wealth and their prestige gave them, they thought, a license to do things that were immoral. And it, it destroyed them. It's so sad. Jesus, this is why Jesus uses parables and, and this is why he uses hyperbole in such a powerful way. He wants us to take it seriously. Okay, I think I've made that point. I'm going to move on. 
Thirdly, Jesus, in the very end there, it's kind of hard to dig out, but I want you to see it. Verse 49, Jesus talks about one more thing that causes people to fall away, and it's, it's, it's embedded there in those last few verses. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Salt in the Old Testament was often used with, with sacrifices. You would take your meat sacrifice and you would salt it as a, as a sign of your, of your desire to be pleasing unto God. I think that makes perfect sense. You know that a lot of the sacrifices were, were, were basically barbecue. Which is why you know God favors Southerners, Southern Americans. Because, I mean, really, we're talking about smoked meat is what sacrifices were in the temple. You, you understand that, right? And of course, if you make good barbecue, you add salt to it. So it makes perfect sense to the Southern mind, at least for Alex, the Southern mind. But, but so, so this, there's salt related to the sacrifice. And so I think that's why Jesus could so easily talk about, you know, when you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You're to be that which preserves the world around you and that which makes the world thirsty. There should be something about our lives that is, that is encouraging people, and there's something about our lives that should make them thirsty for God. Even if you don't say it, but that there's something about you that draws them to the Lord. This is, this is what Jesus says. This, this should draw people to Him. But if the salt loses its saltiness, what's it worth? Now, salt can't become less salty. We know that as a principle. But what, what the writer is talking about, what Jesus is speaking about here is, is the idea of salt that becomes diluted with dirt and impurities to the point that it's no longer usable. That's, you know, once I've, well, can't do it here, but in Pittsburgh, when she threw out salt on the, on the concrete to melt the ice, you can't, you know, grab up the salt, put it back in the bag and use it again because now there's all those impurities that's been mixed in it and it's no longer as effective. And try it again, even less effective. Jesus is saying that, but he's also saying mixed in with this, this idea, there's the idea of sacrifice that causes suffering and pain. Every sacrifice will be salted with fire. The other thing that causes people to fall away is how hard life is. Suffering. The pain. Which is interesting because Martin Luther, famous reformer, said that Suffering was actually a mark of the true church, that the true church understands suffering. After all, our Lord Jesus did not enter into glory, but before he first suffered the pain and the death and humiliation of the cross. And yet, for many, when things become hard and they're persecuted or their life's difficult, we begin to... to question God's tr truth or trustworthiness. I watched a YouTube, so sad, about a young evangelical woman, her and her husband are Christian, used to be Christian musicians. And she began to talk about 
the, the, her experience of how she had, was no longer a Christian. And, and it was just sad to see that what happened was, had been that this woman had been, reject, had been experiencing and had been part of a, a, a truncated gospel. And in Christian Smith says that many in American church, we, we worship a moralistic, therapeutic, deist God. It's just a good grandfather who loves you, wants you to be happy. You know, he's got good things for you. Come to his house. He'll give you great stuff. And then when life crashes in, for this woman, it was the, the birth of her child with, had born with some, with some great difficulties, some physical challenges. All of a sudden, life broke in and she didn't have a category for it. Because her Christianity didn't encompass pain and suffering. Jesus said, every sacrifice will be salted with fire. The pain and suffering will be a part of it. This is what Paul tells Timothy. All who desire to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. And I, I wrote down in my psalm reading the other morning, Psalm 71, 20, God says through the psalmist, you who have made me to see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. You see, that's, that's the gospel. Not that God protects us, keeps us from all pain, but that he is with us in the trouble and the calamity and that he's faithful to bring us through it. But oftentimes people fall away. Well, what do we do about that? Well, we, we make sure that our worship is full-orbed, that it includes aspects that we don't simply just raise the roof with joy and happiness, but we also are somber and silent and we own and walk in the pain. That's what I think David does. It's a great job of, of balancing. You know, sometimes you go, man, David, that's kind of a downer song. Well, you know what? Life can be a downer. And, but Yea, though I walk through the valley of the death, of the shadow of death, you were with me. Jesus tells the parable, he says, one of the things that causes people to fall away is that, is that they're like the, they're, they're the seed on the rocky ground. And then the troubles of life come. And because they don't have roots, they lose their faith. If we're going to be a, a, a redemptive community, a community that offers out to people a redemptive experience of church, then friends, we need to be serious about the things that cause people to stumble and fall away. And yes, it is our business. And yes, it is our responsibility. And we're going to take seriously our own sin. Not to live under this yucky guilt, but to, but to bring us to the reality of the needfulness of the cross and then to bring it back to Jesus who offers forgiveness to all who will ask and fall upon his mercy. We will also be aware that like him, we will walk the way of pain and suffering. But where's the gospel? We, we have a place to carry the guilt. Where, where, you have, where you or I have caused someone to stumble or fall away, we have a place to take that. Where we are overwhelmed by our own sin or by our lack of faith in the face of suffering, we have a place to carry it. It's to the cross of Jesus. And we have a faith in the goodness of God. 
God is good. In him is light, 1 John 1 says, and, in, and there is no darkness. We trust in the goodness of God. And so because of that, we can be like, as James says to those, those Christians in James 5, he says, be patient. Wait for the early and the late rains. You will see an increase. Amen? The faithful, redemptive church may not be flashy. It may not have results. It may sometimes be a bit of a bummer. But we have a place to put our sin. And we have a hope that God is faithful and good will revive us again if we heed James's word and are patient. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you for thank you for not sugarcoating, Lord. Thanks for being real and raw and for challenging us and Lord, though it is painful to sometimes face up to our sin, Lord, thank you that it drives us to the cross and we are more aware of how great a salvation you called us into in Jesus. So Lord, I pray that we would lay these sins before you and that we would stand as new people ready to be a redemptive church. Lord, we pray for those who've fallen away. Will you restore them? Will you woo them back? We pray your mercy upon each and every one of us and of them. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.